The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the reading of God's word from Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 29. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, to the last men surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to, to you tonight? Bring them, bring them out to us, and they may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he, he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the door, both small and great, so that they, were, that they wore themselves out from groping for the door. Then the man said to Lot, Have anyone else here, son-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone have in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we, have a, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against his people have become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his son-in-law, who were married to his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he he seemed to his son-in-laws to be gesturing. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought and as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved, he said to them. Behold, I grant you this favor also, and I will overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. The sun has risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of the heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all who inha- the ha- inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham 
went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up and the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to uh, welcome you this morning in the name of our great triune God. We are grateful that you are worshiping with us, and we pray that you would experience Jesus here today. We also pray that you would follow Jesus into one of our missional communities. Missional communities are where we live out this life of faith together. Because of Jesus, we have been recreated into a family, a family of missionary servants. And God has sent us on mission, filled with His Spirit, to serve and bless our city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is is an exciting life. And it's a life-altering calling, Um, but it's what is meant, it's what it's meant to follow Jesus. So if you kind of find yourself bored uh, with your faith, you kind of find yourself sitting on the sidelines, please talk to anybody after the service, check in at the bookstore, log on to our social media site, the city, back at the box office, and and please check out a missional community. Um, This isn't church. This is a gathering of the church, but this is not church. What we do throughout the weeks is as, mu- as important as this um, or more important as this. So this is a gathering of the body. This is a part of what we do as the, the gathered body, as, as the church. But we desire for you to be connected with us in community and on mission with us in our missional community. So please, if you, if you know somebody here, somebody invited you, ask them about missional communities. If you've invited someone, tell them about missional communities. Invite them to your missional community. The whole thrust of our ministry is to get all of our people living in community and on mission for the sake of our cities. See, our city desperately needs the gospel. And it's our desire to continually raise up more missionaries to send out on mission to our city. Everyday people saturated with the gospel, living life in community and on mission, showing people what a life lived near to God looks like. Most people have an idea of what that looks like, but it's not what it really looks like. So that's our vision in a nutshell. Make disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of our city. Man, we love our city. We love all of our cities in the Quad Cities. God loves our city, which is actually kind of surprising if you think about the amount of sinning that goes on in the city, right? I think we can take that for granted sometimes. Like God doesn't really mind the strip clubs and the dirty politics and the oppression and the all-around wickedness that takes place in our cities. Well, today, we're probably going to get an awakening. Today, in God's sovereignty, from Genesis chapter 19, we're going to see just how seriously God takes injustice and unrepentant sin. Now, I know a lot of us missed last week because of the impending ice apocalypse, um, and I don't have time to catch you all the way up. You can listen to the podcast. You can find that on our website. Uh, but today's the second scene from last week's narrative. 
All right, I'm going to jump right in. Three dudes, last week, three dudes appear to Abraham. If you're new to Sacred City Church, listen, I didn't like, and, and listen, here's the deal. If you're brand new and somebody invited you, they didn't invite you because they knew I was going to preach what I'm about to preach, okay? I'm going to let you, like, if you think, oh, he got me here to hear this. No, like, they didn't. All we do at Sacred City, all we do is we preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, all the way through books of the Bible. And right now we're in the book of Genesis. We've been there for 21 weeks. We are, we are now on the 19th chapter. So it just so happens if anyone's to blame, it's God. Okay. He worked everything out. The ice apocalypse last week, how you got invited. He worked all those situations out. So you could be here today to hear this sermon, bring it up with him. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. Bring, I don't know why he wanted you here today, but bring it up with him. All right. So here we are last week, three dudes, they appear to Abraham but they're not actually dudes. Two of them are angels, and one of them is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Abraham puts on his best hospitality last week, and they eat lunch with him. Then Jesus tells us, or tells Abe, what his plan is. And he says, we're all, me and the two angels, we're on a scouting mission. They're sent by God to go inspect the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, these cities. God has heard, now listen, this is great. God has heard the cries of injustice and oppression that have been rising up from this city. God has heard these cries. And now he sends Jesus and these two angels to get confirmation. Really, they were sent to motivate Abraham to pray and for the salvation of this dude named Lot. But Jesus, last week we saw, hangs back. And he talks with Abraham and Abraham shows his theological acumen and his humility by asking God to spare the city based off the righteousness of a few. He says, will you please look and find a righteous, somebody righteous in there and then spare the rest of the city? God says, yeah, I will. But we know that God cannot find from last week. God could not find anyone righteous. But while Abraham and Jesus were talking, the two angels were walking the 20-mile hike to inspect the city of Sodom. Now, let me give you a warning, okay? I kind of find this funny that I have to give you a warning or institute some kind of rating system for a Bible story, but I guess I do, okay? This story wasn't on the flannel graph in my Sunday school, okay? And this is where the sulfur rained down from heaven, kids, right? I didn't, we didn't, we didn't see that on my flannel graph when I was growing up. Today, we're going to be dealing with a lot of wickedness and darkness. Parents, use discretion. I'm just going to tell you that, okay? It's in the Bible, but, you know, when you're sitting at home, no no pastor's like, you know what I'm going to preach? Sodom and Gomorrah, that's what I'm going to preach, right? This is a good way to free up parking. That's kind of what what we try to do, okay? So, honestly, listen, this is how God works, though. It's been a dark week for me. So this text is actually sovereignly fitting. It's been a dark week for a lot of us. On Friday, I preached the funeral of a young 27-year-old man who left behind a lot of family and friends, including a six-month-old baby girl. One of ours. One of our family here. And I'm going to leave it at this. His sin killed him. I'll leave it there. See, sin 
is like a little cuddly baby Bengal tiger that you take home on your 10th birthday. It's fun. You get a trip telling your friends about it. It makes you feel superior and powerful and full of life. You could take that little Bengal tiger on a walk and wow, look at you. All the neighbors are talking, all your friends. You're the coolest kid in the neighborhood, man. You're in control of that thing. You are in control of your sin. You're special. You're different. You're cool. But year by year, that thing keeps growing. That little cute, cuddly Bengal tiger keeps growing and eventually you're no longer in control. Eventually, you try taking it for a walk and it begins to drag you around. The thing that you thought you could control is now controlling you. It begins to take your whole paycheck to feed it. And eventually, if you don't kill it, it is going to kill you. If you can remember earlier on in our story in the book of Genesis, that is exactly what God told Cain. He said, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So today, it's going to be one of those, maybe those old-fashioned fire and brimstone sermons. Possibly, it might, hopefully there's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel, but it might feel a little bit like that today. Because God has got us in this text to see this for a reason. If you think your sin is manageable, you're lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself. If you think no one's going to find out, if you think it's not going to have repercussions and and you can can do what you want to do and live the life you want to live and it's not going to come back and get you, you're petting a baby Bengal tiger and the thing is going to grow and rip your face off. Okay? That's just how it's going. I'm just going to let you know that's how it ends. It's fun, it's cuddly, teach him to do tricks while he can, play with the ball while he can. But when he gets old enough, when you don't know it, when you don't think it's going to come, he's coming for your juggler. That's what sin does. Its desire is to steal, kill, and destroy from us. That's it. And we're going to see this in the life of Lot. Verse, or chapter 19, if you go open up your Bibles, we're going to go verse by verse through this. Chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now, let's remember for that. Let's remember this here. Let's remember just how far Lot has let sin take him. At first, now, if you know who Lot is, Lot is the nephew of Abraham. Father Abraham, right? He's got a great uncle. Lot has a great uncle. But this is what happened, if you remember this. At first, Lot began to look at the city of Sodom longingly. Way chapter, several chapters back. I think that land looks good over there. Then when given his choice of land to choose, he said, yep, I get first dibs. I want Sodom. That's where I want to be. Then... The text found him making his camp outside the city. He had moved his tent. Abraham, they were all sojourners. They moved their tent and he he parked it right outside of Sodom. Ooh, this is great. I can see what's going on in the city, but I'm not really a part of it. You know, I can walk in and maybe take part in their commerce and and get the, you know, the affluency of the city, but I can still be, you know, I'm, I'm living in the suburbs right now, right? Then Lot digressed and moved into the wicked city. And Abraham, if you remember, Abraham, 
This city gets overtaken by five kings. He gets raided and Lot gets drug off, right? And Abraham, ah, oh, got to go get my nephew. Abraham gets some, some of his allies. He goes on this trek and, and, and basically a war march and recaptures um, Lot. And he had to go rescue him, right? And, and what does Lot do? Oh, Uncle Abe came and rescued me. Has he learned his lesson? Absolutely not. All right. Now he's moved into the city. He's bought a house and he's probably, uh, he's sitting at the gates right now. It says he's sitting at the gates. Lot doesn't learn his lesson. Man, this is just like sin. Sin makes you stupid. Just say it. Sin makes you stupid. There's just no other way to say it. So what, what, we, what, what, what does Lot do after being rescued by Abraham? He moves right back into the city and buys a house. Good call. It'll be different this time. What do we do? We go right back to the same environment. It'll work. It'll be different this time. It'll be different. I don't need church. I don't need community. I don't need mission. I don't need... It'll be different. It'll be different this time. I got caught. I got busted. I got in trouble. I got my sin caught. It'll be different this time. Moves right back in to the same city and buys a house. More than likely, Lot was some kind of politician. That's why he's sitting at the gates. That's where they judge civil matters and had public discourse. It's funny though, because he's sitting all alone. Apparently... Though sin had made Lot stupid, he was still top of the pack in Sodom. Now, the Bible says that bad company corrupts good character or good morals. Being the best guy in the room has a whole lot to do with what room you're in. And just because you're the smartest guy in the room, man, you better look around. Listen, Lot probably felt like a genius living in Sodom. He probably felt like a morally upright man compared to his neighbors. You hang around with enough fools and you start thinking pretty highly of yourself. See, that's the great deception of sin is I feel kind of bad, but then I always got somebody I can point to and go, well, at least I ain't like that guy. Like, yeah, yeah, I got some issues, but did you see this guy? This guy keeps us all clean, right? This guy keeps us all feeling good about ourselves. There's always that, that one neighbor, that one friend that we can point to. It's a shame though, because what we're going to see tonight today is a, is a lesson in wasted potential. Let's keep reading. Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom when Lot saw them. So the two men, they're actually angels. He rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, my Lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, 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 we're, we're going we're gonna to spend the night in the town square. We'll get a hotel, you know, we're going to kick it over here. But he pressed them strongly. <clears throat> so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread. And they ate. Now, here's the deal. We're not going to have too many positive things to say about our boy Lot today. But here's one of them. The guy is hospitable. Okay. Similar to Abraham, he invites these strangers into his house and he prepares a meal for them. But even this is less than stellar, okay? I want you to pick up a couple things from the text. If you remember, Abraham killed a calf and he made special bread and he had a great feast prepared. 
Lot makes unleavened bread. Okay, that's kind of like throwing in a Totino's pizza in the oven. Right? Come on in, guys. I'll make you a feast. I got a Totino's in the oven. I even got some tap water. Right? There's not, he, there's not much going on here to, 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 to say this guy's a really great guy. So he was hospitable way more than everybody else in Sodom. But compared to Abraham, he's still lame. Compared to Abraham, he's still not a, you know, a righteous dude. And this is where things get freaky, okay? Like, like freaky deaky freaky, okay? That, I'm just going to let you know that. Here we go. Verse 4. Oh, boy. <clears throat> but before they lay down, that's the angels. So the angels park it in their, his house. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man. Okay, Moses is telling the story. He's letting us know it was all the dudes. It was everybody, young, old, all the men. Surrounded the house. We got a mob going, all right? We got a mob fired up. We got a riot fired up. And what do they want? And they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Okay? Just so you know, the ESV translates the Hebrew word here word for word. Okay? That is why it says they wanted to know these men. That's literally what the Hebrew says. Know, though, is a Hebrew euphemism for sex. Other translations make it more plain and they say it straight up. They say, come, let... Let us have them and let us have sex with these men. All right? So we got the men of the city of Sodom. All right? The Sodomite men surrounding the house saying, we want those two dudes that just showed up, the ones that you're being hospitable towards, we want those so that we can have our way with them, so that we can rape them. So here we go. All right? Every man in the city is pounding on Lot's door. All right. Now it becomes pretty obvious why Lot did not want these men to stay the night in the town square. Lot lives in Sin City. The pornographic capital of the Near East. He probably moved in because it was fun. A lot of hot women. Nobody talked about sin and you could do what you want. You could live free. He found a freaky wife who was good in bed and said, hey, let's settle down here. This is the city for me. I'm a standout in this city. I stand head and shoulders above everybody else in this city. I feel like a righteous dude in this city. I'm not going to hang around Abraham. That guy makes me feel bad about myself. I'm going to hang out. The sodomites. These are my people. Man, sin makes you stupid. How bad, how bad do things have to get before we ask for help? How deep into sin do we have to go before hitting rock bottom? Lot knew how sinful the sodomites were. And he still decided somewhere in his genius mind of his, like all of us do, he still decided that it would be okay. Hey, I know Bengal tigers kill people, but not me. 
I'm different. You see how little and cute and cuddly it is? I know how to raise a tiger. I know how to do it. It'll be different for me. It'll be different. I keep him on a leash. It's just recreational. It'll be fun. Sin makes you stupid. Lot knew how sinful the Sodomites were and still decided that it'd be okay to raise his kids in the city. No churches, no gospel, no listening to God, no family worship. We make the rules here. This is a fun city, man. We make the rules. We say what's right and what's wrong. Sexually, we do whatever we want to do. And here's the deal. The sexual... Um, once you get on that sexual train, once you get on that, it, this is where it takes you. You get in that exploration, you get on anything goes, you get into this, and this is where it goes. The depths of our, the depravity of the human soul will take it farther and farther and farther and farther. Studies show that pornography is literally rewiring the brains, literally rewiring the brains of people. John Mayer is recently quoted as saying, I've had a lot of, I've had sex with a lot of women, but I would rather watch pornography now. It feels more real to me than real women. Quoted it. Oh, but we all want to be our boy John Mayer, right? A, A screenshot is more real to him to a flesh and blood woman with soul Why? Because men don't want a woman. They want a sexual receptacle. This is what sin does to us. This is where we're headed. Sin makes you stupid. So now two angels show up to town to inspect the city of God and the men of the town want to homosexually gang rape them. They're pounding on Lot's door, and what does Lot do? Okay, here's Lot's other positive thing that he does. Okay, it's one of two redeeming qualities about this sinful dude. All right, Uh, verse 7. And or 6. Lot went out to meet the men at the entrance. He shut the door after him and he said, I beg you, brothers, do not act so wickedly. Okay, stop right there. He Lot goes out to meet these men and stands between them and the angels. Now, this does take some guts, all right? You hear a riot has formed, and they're wanting to homosexually gang rake somebody, and you go out to meet that mob, right? Listen, things are about to get serious, and I'm getting my gun. I'm going to lock the door. I'm getting my gun. I'm, this, this, I ain't going out to meet nobody. But Lot goes out to try to persuade them not to rape these angels, they don't know if Lot is, doesn't know they're angels. Okay. But they we knew from last week, Abraham recognized them as angels, but Lot doesn't. Now, just when you think that old Lot is really not that bad of a dude, look what he does. Okay. So Lot, listen, redeeming quality. He makes a good Totino's pizza. Okay. He's got that going for him. Redeeming quality. He steps outside, he shuts the door and he says, hold on guys, don't rape these dudes. Okay. He's, He's got somewhat of a backbone, redeeming quality, all right? Now, let's look what this guy does. Verse 8. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. They've not, they're virgins. They haven't had sex with any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. 
He offers up his daughters to these perverted and wicked men. Dad, fail. Now, I think we should juxtapose this with Abraham from last week. Abraham was in a tough spot last week. He didn't know what to do. So he did what? He prayed. Abraham was confused. He was, didn't know what's going on. He didn't understand God. So he prayed. He brought it to Jesus. Lot gets in a tough spot. And what does he do? He does what he's always done. He schemes. He plots. He maneuvers. He tries to, think, to handle things on his own. Okay, they're not going to stop. They're lustful. I'll give them what they want, kind of. My daughters. Dad fail. Thanks, Dad. Right? Daughters are in their house like, oh, Dad's going to protect. Oh. Right? Dad's going to go out. He's going to protect us. Hey. They, can you imagine daughters in the house listening to Dad? Hey. Don't take these men. But I got daughters in there. The girls are like, you just met these guys. Heinous, right? And then look what happens. The mob turns on Lot. The ones that he thought were his friends, his boys, they now want to rape him. But they said to Lot, stand back. This fellow came to sojourn. They're talking to Lot. He came to sojourn. He wasn't a part of the city, but he moved into the city. He has now become, has he now become the judge? Oh, who are you to tell us what you're going to do? You think you rule over us, Lot? You're just like us. You've been living just like us. Now you're going to tell us we can't rape somebody? We rape people all the time. We do this all the, now you're going to say we can't do it? Who do you think you are? Keep reading. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So now, hey, we're going to rape you. Verse 10. But the men, that's the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. So they wore themselves out groping for the door. God is gracious here. And the angels, they, they grab Lot and they pull him into the house and they blind everybody. Now, this is just a very disturbing scene all around. Right? But for the angels, this is game, set, match. Right? They've seen all they need to see. All right, they're ready to, they're wanting to homosexually gang rape people. I'm pretty sure we just inspected the city. And, okay. I think God can do his thing. God can destroy this city for the sake of his own holiness and his own righteousness and for the sake of this, this city's wickedness. 1912, chapter two, or verse 12. Then the men, then the angels said to Lot, or, have you anyone else? Sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Okay, so the angels say, get your kids, right? Get your wife, get your grand, get your sons-in-laws and get out. We're about to destroy this city. God's patience is now at an end. He has heard the cries of the oppressed and the cries of injustice. And now he's ready to deal swiftly with it. Look at verse 14. So Lot went out and he said to his sons-in-law, 
who were to marry his daughter. So they're, this is confusing in the Greek. They're either were married to his daughter or they were engaged to his daughter. It's confusing in the Greek. We don't really know. He's, Lot says this, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. All right, look, stop. Maybe you were raised in church. The Bible says that all of us have this sense inside of us when we're doing wrong, we know it. We have the law written on our hearts that, that tells us to obey, t- tells us that dis- something's wrong about disobedience. And when you ignore that conscience, when you ignore the Holy Spirit, you know, for long enough, God has a way of getting your attention. Sometimes he brings you to rock bottom in order to get your attention. And now Lot is kind of at rock bottom. And now Lot is concerned with his family. He's lived this foolish lifestyle. He's moved his family into this wicked city. And now he goes to his sons-in-law and he says, hey, hey, let's go. Angel says, God's about to rain down fire and he's going to deal justice on this place. God is ticked off at it. We're, we're, we got to go. And look how his son-in-laws respond. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be joking. So Lot cruises to the back door, calls his sons-in-law, tells them that God is going to spew lava all over this city. Pack your bags. We got to go. And they laughed. Lot is a joke. You mean after all the freaky stuff we done, pops, now you're going to tell us that God doesn't approve? After all the years of sin and all the fun and all the parties and all the stuff we've been through, now you're going to say God's all of a sudden going to call accounts due? Lot is a joke. Lot has no respect. Lot has no influence. His sons laugh at him and the God he claims to know. See, sin steals the influence that God wants us to have, the the mission that God wants us to be on to make his name known in our city, to show people what a life lived close to Jesus looks like. God doesn't want us to tell people just how to get to heaven, but how to live a flourishing life on this earth, lived near to God. And Lot has failed at that. Lot goes to the people that are closest to him and says, let's get out, and they laugh at him. And then let's let's just keep going. Verse 15. As morning dawned, The angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Okay, look look, look at this. This is just fitting. You have a, a gang of men wanting to gang rape you and your guests. You've got two angels telling you that God has had it and the city's about to blow. And you think you need a good night's rest before your journey. People pounding down your door. Get your people out of here. Okay, but I got to get my eight hours. We'll leave in the morning. (sighs) Right? Sin makes you stupid. Sin makes you stupid. All right? So the angel wakes him up. He goes, the guy goes to bed. Angel wakes him up. We got to get out of here. You get your family and get out of here. And then what's the next verse? 16. But he lingered. But he lingered. See, sin 
This is the one thing you're going to get out of this sermon. Sin makes us stupid. This is what we all do when confronted with our own sin. Come on, dude. Calm down. It's not that big of a deal. I've done it a thousand times before and nothing terrible has happened. I've driven drunk before. I'm just buzzed. I'm not drunk. I've slept with that person before. I've, I've done that. I've hooked up at the bar. I've, I've looked at the pornography. I've, 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 I've took, took a little bit under the table. I let my eye linger a little long. I've done it a hundred times. I've done it a hundred times before. Nothing terrible has happened. I know it's bad, but come on, don't freak out. Calm down. Listen, if we had one glimpse of God's glory, if we had any sense at all of the holiness of God, we, like Isaiah, would be knocked prostrate. That means on your face, okay? And say, woe is me. I'm a man who, of unclean lips. I'm completely undone. But Lot, like us, lingers in his sin. Oh, fire and brimstone, judgment. Come on, man. Just chill. It's the weekend. I'll leave on Monday. Is that where you find yourself this morning? Are you comfortable in your sin? You think you've got it tamed? You think that you've got that thing quarantined off in a section of your, of your heart that you can just keep control of? Sin makes us stupid. Now, this is where we get to see just how amazing and great and gracious God is. Here's a picture of how God saves us. Listen, here is actually, for those of you who like labels, here is a picture of Calvinism. Here's a picture of how salvation belongs to God from start to finish, and it's all by grace. Okay? Lot's stupefaction, I just, I think that's a real word, I don't know, I just created it. Lot's stupefaction is now complete. Okay? Listen, he moved... He saw what he shouldn't have saw. He moved close to what he shouldn't move to. He moved into where he shouldn't go, right? He, he, he's surrounded by sin. He's involved in sin himself. He offers up his daughters for these men to rape, all right? The angel tells him to leave. He, ah, I'm gonna sleep on it, right? No, get up and go. He lingers. Is this a good guy? Are you gonna open up the Bible and say, son, come here. I want you to aspire to be like this man. Put a picture of Lot on your wall. You can do it. When, you, when that Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I'm shooting for this right here, son. If you grow up and be like Lot, I will be one proud dad. Right? Pathetic. Shameful. Lot's stupefaction is now complete, and what do the angels do? Fine, moron, die in the flames. He's lingering. All right, deuces. Right? They can hear him coming in. Right? Fine, have it your own way. What do the angels do? Look at look what he does. But he lingered. So the men, that's the angels, seized him. 
seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. (laughs) Die in the flames? Absolutely not. The angels seize him. I'm so thankful that God seized me. That I'm a fool caught up in my own sin. I'm lingering. I don't want anything to do with God. Maybe tomorrow, maybe someday down the road when I find a good wife and I got to put on the religious front to get married to her and then we'll have kids and then we'll start coming back to church. Absolutely not. God seized me. He seizes him and his daughter and his wife and he brings them out of the city. Now this is like a fireman. Okay, They don't give Lot a choice. There's no free will in a fire rescue. Fireman runs in, fights off the flames and the heat, grabs you, throws you over his shoulder. Even if you're kicking and screaming, he carries you out of the house. Fireman doesn't run in. Flames, hey man, I, I leaned up a ladder over at the window over here. I don't want to override your free will, so I leaned up a ladder over here. And uh, I mean, just kind of cut through the flames there a little bit. But uh, it's just over there if you need help. This is how we picture salvation in our mind. God would never override our free will. Thank God he will override my free will. Because my free will is wicked. It's crooked. It's bent. I'm a sinner and all I do is sin. But God, like a fireman, runs in, throws me over his shoulder, and runs out, sits me down. It's exactly what he does to Lot. He doesn't say, Lot, hey, okay, Lot's lingering. Lot, listen, let me open up the word. Let's do, let's do a word study here on salvation. I want to make sure you understand. Listen, right? Takes him through, you know, Romans hasn't been written, but takes him through, you know, the Romans road here. <laughs> Takes him through the Romans road, lets him know. All right, did you know you're a sinner, Lot? Okay, did you know the grace is sufficient? Okay, can you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Okay, then come on, let's go. The angel, can I make it any clearer? He picks him up and throws him over his shoulder. Lot's going, wait, I got China. I want to keep my, right? He carries him out. God, listen. Can I tell you this? This is what it means to be saved. If Jesus puts a a, a ladder up outside the window, that's making salvation possible for you to save yourself. If Jesus comes in and grabs you over his shoulder, you're saved by Jesus. None of your works count. His grace and mercy. It says it right here. God had mercy on Lot. Man, God is so good. God didn't give him a rescue plan. He rescued him. God is so good. But how does our boy Lot respond to this salvation? Verse 17, and as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. The angel says, run for your life. Do not look back. Key, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh man, behold, your servants found favor in your sight and you showed me great kindness in saving my life. I mean, thanks for that whole over the shoulder thing. That was really nice, but I can't escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Hey, 
But behold, this city, this city, right? See this little city? This city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. It's not a big one like Sodom. It's got little sin. This is a little sin city. Can I, can I please move into this city? Let me escape there and my life will be saved. The angel said to him, behold, I grant you this favor also that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly. He's gracious and he allows him to respond. The angels acquiesce. They're gracious and let Lot move into Zoar. But as soon as he gets into the city, the Lord, Hebrew word Adonai, let's just say that's Jesus, rains down sulfur and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. Man, woman, child, Lot's son-in-laws, everybody but Lot, his wife and his two girls. People often ask me, how could a loving God kill innocent people? How could he obliterate a whole city or people group? It happens several times in the scriptures. It happens every day. Let's just be honest. People die right now. People die this week. People die today. First off, that question, it reveals a modern sensibility or a modern presupposition. No human being on this planet is innocent. God made us for holiness. God made us for himself. He made us to give him glory. That's why we are built. That's how we are created. And all of our sins, big or small, are our attempts at robbing him of glory. So by right of creation, God can destroy any person he so chooses for their sin and rebellion and be just in doing it. But also, listen to this. God also finds delight in justice. He is pleased by righteousness. When humans live and function according to the ways he created them in holiness, humans flourish and God is pleased and it brings God joy and it brings God pleasure when humans flourish. He created us to flourish. When we live according to the ways he created us to live in, we do flourish and that gives God glory. Our human flourishing gives God glory. He gets to say, I made him to do that. He takes human flourishing so seriously, listen, that he's willing to destroy those who work against that. Sin is man's attempt to work against human flourishing. We don't think that because we're stupid. Right? I can have who can who can tell me who has the right to tell me who I can have sex with? God. He made the thing you use to have sex with, all right? He knows its purpose. He knows who he created it for. God can. I can't. Nor do I want to. God can. So when people sin, that is work against his plan 
for human flourishing that's going to bring him glory. God so loves justice that he's willing to wipe out those who work against it, who fight against it. So God's passionate delight for his own glory, seen in justice, righteousness, and human flourishing, is so intense that he incinerates a whole town of, full of unrepentant sinners. He incinerates them. Not just that, the whole creation, this valley today is still desolate. Crazy salt statue looking things. They're literally salt statues called Lot's wife. Google it, it's crazy. Still desolate today. 4,000 years later, it's still desolate. And then, so on top of all this, Lot's wife takes a cue from her husband and disobeys the angels and she looks back longingly over her lost city. See, she cared more about that city and her way of life than she did about the glory of God. She wasn't thinking, God has finally heard the cries of the oppressed. God is finally working for justice. These people have been marring his earth. These people have been fighting against human flourishing. And God is finally getting the glory due his name by incinerating these people. She was thinking, that was a good house. Man, our dog, he's probably gone, right? She's looking back longingly off of her people, over her people, the sodomites. And what happens? She turns to a pillar of salt. God destroyed her. Listen, this whole thing for us, this actually happened, seems crazy, but it actually happened. Listen, it's pointing towards something that's going to happen. There's going to be a great final judgment over all the earth. More sweet little Hallmark card, 9.6 ounce baby Jesus is going to come back with a tattoo on his leg and eyes like fire and a sword coming out of his mouth. And blood is going to run in the streets up to a horse's bridle. And he will execute justice because he's so passionate about the father's glory. And those unrepentant sinners will be judged like Sodom and Gomorrah. And at this one, Satan, the great deceiver, will also be judged and thrown into an eternal lake of fire. Now, it does not bring me pleasure to say that. If you think I'm one of those preachers that stands up and I'm thinking about everybody else and I'm saying, listen, if you like Westerns, A lot of people think that Christianity is about white hats and black hats. The good guys, the moral people, they all got white hats and the bad guys, they all wear black hats. It's not what this text is showing us. There's only one guy who wears a white hat and that's Jesus. Everybody else has got a black hat. This preacher up here, I wear a big black hat. Now, as we close, I, w- I want us to look at verse 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow 
when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. God remembered Abraham's prayer. This is why we pray for those who do not know Jesus. Maybe you don't know Jesus and you're here today. Maybe you are an unbeliever, an atheist, or an agnostic, or confused, or spiritual but not religious, and all the different labels that we want to apply to ourselves. Maybe you're just seeking. Maybe you're just here. But listen, we've prayed for you. We're continuing to pray for you. Why? Because Abraham prayed for Lot, and Lot found salvation. Lot was saved. Lot was saved by the grace of God and by Abraham's prayer for him. Listen, do you really get this? Lot has disobeyed. Can we please, let's, let's just listen right here and get this. If you, get, if you, don't, if you didn't hear anything all, all sermon, hear this. Lot has disobeyed God every chance he could get. He moved into Sid City. He was buddy-buddy with people who hated God. He offered up, offered up his daughters to be gang-raped. His son-in-laws laughed at him and his God. He didn't lead his wife into the ways of God, and she was destroyed and went to hell. And next week, we're going to see that this guy's daughters are porno freaks as well. This guy's daughters, next week, I'm going to let you know, they get him drunk and they sleep with him. Okay? Make t-shirts. Lot is my homeboy, right? Nobody wants one. But here's the kicker. Listen. Listen to this. If you don't hear anything, hear this right here. This is scandalous. This is ridiculous. This is going to make, if you, if, you're, if you tend to be moralistic, this is going to kick you in the teeth. Lot was wicked, but God chose Lot. God saved Lot by his own doing. God gave Lot a godly uncle who was praying for him. In one of the most shocking verses in all of the Bible, 2 Peter, God says that Lot was a righteous man. A righteous man. Now, let me ask you, how could an all-knowing and holy God call Lot righteous and still be just? A just judge can't just look at a convicted criminal and say, I call you righteous. He can't do that, right? (coughs) If, If there's victims in the courtroom... And the guy who's being tried, let's just say he had just raped someone and there's rape victims in the courtroom and the judge looks and goes, oh, I'll call this guy righteous. What do the victims do? They cry out, they scream, this is unjust. You are a horrible judge. They want the judge's head. You don't have a right to call somebody who's unrighteous, righteous. You don't have have the right to call the wicked man good. How can God still be just and call wicked pervert, porno-loving, lot, righteous. Romans chapter 3 will give us a little bit of clarity. (coughs) Verse 22. For there is no distinction, halfway through the verse, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are and are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God, look, put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be, to be received by faith. Look, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That analogy I used of the judge, the rapist is on stand. God doesn't just say, no big deal, get down. Jesus gets on the stand and says, I take it. All of his punishment, all of his guilt, all of his shame, all of every sin he committed, I did it. Punish me for it. That's how God is just. He takes actual sin, the sin of Lot, and he places it on Jesus. And he takes Jesus' righteousness and places it on Lot. So now he can say, Lot is a righteous man. God was just in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because their unrepentant sin needed to be paid for through their own death. Listen. God was just in saving Lot and calling Lot righteous because his sins, and they were many, were paid for by Jesus' death. All of our sin has to be paid for. Only two ways to pay for it. On your own death, eternal damnation and separation from God in hell, you'll pay for your sin yourself. Or Jesus Christ has paid for your debt on the cross once and for all. It is finished. That's the only way. Now, listen, I want you to hear yourself. What are you thinking right now? Because if you say, I can't believe Lot was a Christian. I, oh, I can't believe. Then you don't understand the gospel. If I was preaching today and you said, tell him, Justin, go get him. Go get him. You miss it. You miss it. We're just like Lot. One last scripture. Titus chapter 3. Three verses 3 through 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Look, look, look. He saved us. He didn't make it possible. He saved us. Not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Same words. Same words that he used of Lot. By his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is how we come to know God. This is how we're saved. This is how we become Christians. God throws us over our shoulder, his shoulder, 
And he runs out and he rescues us and he sits us down and he says, you're saved. And many of us are like, but I was having fun. I, I kind of liked Sodom. And listen, it doesn't change the fact that you're saved, but it can ruin the rest of your life. It can ruin your influence. You, nobody's going to hear the gospel, or get to the kingdom or meet Jesus because of you. You're saved, but barely like one escaping the flames. But do you want to be great? Do you want to have a kingdom impact? Do you want to shake the city? Do you want to do something in the Quad Cities where where a revival and and a holy rumble is heard around the nations? Do you want to be a part of God's story of redemption? That's what's at stake here. You can be saved and be a fool that gets hammered every week. Barely saved, escaping like one who escapes from the flames. Is that what you want? Do you want to go down like Lot? Lot is saved. He's deemed righteous, but nobody knows Jesus because of Lot. Lot is about to die out. After next week, you're not going to hear anything about Lot. Done. Abraham, lineage of faith. We all sing Father Abraham, and we're all shake our head in disgust at Lot. But we're all going to meet him in heaven. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we'll get to meet Lot. Now listen, for those who have been saved by grace through faith and you find yourself a lot like Lot and you can't get over this sin and you can't get through this addiction and you can't shut the computer down and you can't stop the lying and you can't live in community and you can't be on, and, and you just can't do it. You, just, you find the old rhythms and the old patterns too strong. This is how, listen, This is how you put sin to death. This is how you put your hand on the Bengal tiger and you cut his throat. You fight with everything in you to remember the gospel. You pray, you confess, you repent, you get in community and you ask for help. Jesus said, Cut off your hand. It's that serious. I would rather you get to heaven with a hand cut off, with an eye plucked out. He says, take it that serious. Take your sin that serious. Jesus took it that serious that he took it on his flesh and he died. And listen, it it takes self-discipline. I'm going to tell you that. It takes self-discipline, but self-discipline is not the root. If self-discipline is the root, you're only going to get so far. And those of you who have no self-discipline, you can't take your hand out of the cookie jar. You can't shut off the video game and go shovel the sidewalks. You can't get up and and keep a four. You work 28 hours and you, oh, my back hurts, right? I understand. The root of our sanctification, becoming like Jesus, the root of being made in his image is not self-discipline. The root of all heart change is understanding how wicked, how wicked, how lot-like we are 
And how simultaneously loved by a gracious and holy God. If you can see that we're so much like Lot and God has thrown us over his shoulder and not only has he saved us, but he goes, that's my boy. That's how you kill sin. When the desire to go to pornography, when the desire to steal, when the desire to whatever it is that you're fighting, when that desire, it's not stop it, stop it, don't do it, don't do it. You overcome that desire with a greater desire. Something that will bring you more pleasure. And that's the thought of when I was at my worst. When no one knew what I was doing. God threw me over his shoulder. He brought me out of the flaming house. He set me down. He pours his love on me. He says, this is my now through Jesus Christ. This is my adopted son or daughter. When you learn to swim in that love, when you learn to revel in that love, it will cut the root of that sin. A greater love will cut the root of that sin. But it, it does. It takes. It takes self-discipline to do that. To preach the gospel to yourself in those moments, to pick up the phone and call somebody in community, to, to be in community where people actually know you. I love it, man. I can't get away with anything at this church. I love it. Everywhere I'm at, I got a wrong way. You look like you got, this is what Ken said to me. You got angst in your face. I said, I do got angst in my face. Let me tell you about my angst. Right? Right? It's good for me. It's good for us. This is why we make disciples in community and on mission. Listen, I hope you saw a picture of a God that you didn't create. I hope through this crazy text, you saw a picture of a God no human being would go, I want that guy. But I hope you saw a God who would inspire fear, awe, reverence, respect, and that you would say, he's willing. Jesus Christ on the cross so that Lot could be rescued. Jesus Christ dying to take the place of Lot. Jesus Christ took, listen to me, he took the fire and brimstone He took the raining sulfur and the fire that came from hell or came from heaven onto Sodom and Gore. Jesus took more than that on the cross. The father completely turned his back on him. Jesus took the punishment that Lot deserved. Jesus took it on himself. The punishment that we deserve, Christ has taken. I pray that that would soften your heart, that that would cut the root of sin. I pray that that would cause you to worship God. great and mighty God. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your word. Even very difficult texts like the text today. I thank you that you are more holy than any of us can imagine, but you're more gracious than we could ever even dream about. 
And I pray that even today, through the preaching of the gospel, you threw some people over your shoulder and you carried them out of a burning building. And Father, those that you've already done that with, and yet like Lot, they're lingering. Like John Owen said that we better be killing sin or sin will be killing us. I pray that they would take it serious. I pray they would fight to believe the gospel. And I pray that you would give them a new affection in their heart. You would give them a new sense of your Holy Spirit. You would give them a new, you would pour into their heart the love of God. Were you unexplainable to them, they would say, I know that I'm loved by God. In spite of my sin, I know that I've been loved by God. I pray that you would do that today. And Father, I pray that we would all turn from our sin and embrace you, embrace Jesus Christ by faith. (coughs) And that you would communicate again um, the gospel to us through the sacrament, the bread and the wine. That Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. It's the cup of the new covenant. Drink this in remembrance of me. And I pray that we would do that with repentant hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.